It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of BGN Radio is brought to you by Clip It, the hottest app that is out there. Watch TV, make clips, and share. For more information, check them out at clipit.tv or check them on Twitter at clipittv. Welcome into the show. I'm Vince Quinn. You might not have heard from me for a little while, and you might be wondering, where the hell is Vince? Or you might also be saying, thank God I haven't heard from Vince. I don't know what happened to him, and I don't care. Well, I am back, and I haven't really been gone. I've been doing all of the work for BGN on Patreon. So if you're not a Patreon subscriber, we got a lot of things going on over there. We do an NFC East show every single week. NFL show every week. We do additional Eagles coverage, Eagle After Dark. We've got a million different shows that we've got going on. Bonus interviews as well is something that we often regularly do on Patreon, so make sure to check out all of the stuff that we have there. And just to give you a little taste of what we do over at Patreon, I wanted to bring on a very special guest. So he's the author of a book. It's called Tackling Life, How Faith, Family, Friends, and Fortitude kept an NFL linebacker in the game. He's an incredible story, and he's a former Philadelphia Eagles linebacker. Kevin Riley is with us today. Kevin, thanks for being a part of the show. Hey, Vince. Thanks for having me, and really glad to be with you. Well, yeah, and, and I had to talk to you because I see that you have a book out, and, and you're such an incredible story. So I, I guess I just want to go back to the beginning here because you are an NFL linebacker. So uh, when it comes to football, what's your relationship to the game growing up? Well, I played all three sports uh, coming up as a kid in the 60s, in the late 50s and early 60s. And before we had this thing called the electronic sweatshop, which is the telephones we have, you know, it wasn't unusual for a guy like me to go out in the backyard and, and shoot some buckets or throw some balls around and pretend, even when you were by yourself. And, you know, pretending was another way of dreaming. And um, I think subconsciously that takes effect a lot of times. And, uh, you know, I always was pretend that I was a Philadelphia Eagle or a Philly or at that time a, 
a, a warrior, a Philadelphia warrior. They weren't the 76ers yet. And uh, as time went on, uh, I was, I, when I went to high school, I played three sports for two seasons, and I narrowed it down to just basketball and football because I knew I had potential to get a scholarship in football and save my parents some money, and uh, that came true. I ended up going to Villanova on a full ride. And that year, my team, uh, I was captain of the Salesian football team in 1968. We went undefeated, and we ended up sending 11 guys uh, to college on football scholarships. Five went to Division One school. So that's really where it all started, and then the rest uh, happened at Villanova. Uh, where, you know, again, I played linebacker there and was captain, co-captain of the team my senior year. And then uh, following uh, the, the great uh, uh, luck of being behind two guys, one was Mike Fiani, who was a wide receiver, and the other was John Babinez. They were seniors when I was juniors, and Mike Fiani got drafted in the first round as a wide receiver with the Oakland uh, Raiders, and John Babinez got drafted in the second round by the Dallas Cowboys. So that brought some scouts out that happened to see me play in my junior year. And they followed me in my senior year. And then from there, I got drafted by the world champion, Miami Dolphins in 1973, uh, made it through camp, but got put on waivers the last week of the uh, preseason. And it was five weeks later, the Eagles picked me up where I played for almost three years and then finished out my career with a half a year with the new England Patriots. So Football was always in my life, but sports were a big part of my life. Football just happened to be the sport I chose to go forward with. Okay, so you go forward, and and you do end up going from being a kid that's dreaming in the backyard to someone who's an actual living, breathing professional athlete, and it's your hometown team. What's that experience like? Uh, it was incredible. One one particular day, if you can imagine this, um, during the early 70s, the Eagles weren't very good, and we weren't on Monday Night Football for about four years. And in that span of time, the Dallas Cowboys, I think, had beaten us eight or nine straight times. To them, we were like the Pottstown Firebirds. I'm sure when the season schedule came out, they just put W's by the Philadelphia Eagles. But a little different in 1974 when um, we had Roman Gabriel, our quarterback, Bill Berge, was now playing and shoring up the defense. And uh, we were playing for the first time. We were playing on Monday Night Football. We were playing the Dallas Cowboys. And we were only a three-point underdog. And that's when... Dick LeBeau, our special teams coach, came into the locker room about an hour before the game started. I was about halfway dressed and taped up, and he said, Wiley, get the kickoff team and get into our meeting room. Well, Vince, that never happens. So we were wondering what is going on, and we feared that maybe somebody's you know, parents or, or siblings were in trouble. And uh, That wasn't it. He came in and he closed the door and he announced that we were going to be introduced before the game in order to get the crowd into the game because – there was a place at the vet called the 700 level. I'm sure you knew about that. <laughs> and uh, those guys identified with us because we were the blue-collar workers on the football team, and they really were our big fans. And they knew if they could get them rounded up, roused up that it might cascade down into the stadium. Uh, and so that was the, uh, the thought behind that. So imagine this. I'm standing last in line in a tunnel looking out through this tunnel to the football field with their 70,000 screaming fans. By the way, Vince, they've been drinking since noon. And uh, uh, I've got the opportunity. I'm checking the back of my jersey to see if my name's on there because this was the thing that I kind of was pretending about, you know, just 12 years earlier in the backyard. And here it is getting ready to happen. And uh, being introduced in front of that crowd was one of the biggest uh, 
positive experiences of my life. You could hardly hear yourself even think when uh, we came out that the uh, upper 700 level got it, cascaded down, the roar was incredible. And on top of that, we ended up 10-10 tie at, with three seconds left. And Tom Dempsey came out and kicked a 48-yard field goal to put us over the top. That was my 15 minutes of fame, and that was just an incredible experience. I'll never, ever forget winning on Monday foot, night football against the Dallas Cowboys on Monday night TV. We're talking with former Eagles linebacker Kevin Riley. When it, so when it comes to this experience, so you get to live up this great moment and play in this great game, and, and it is something that people dream about. But when you get to that point where you are a, a professional player for all these years, like uh, when you look back, what – what kind of uh, what kind of emotions do you have for the day to day grind of it? What did the lifestyle mean to you? Well, you know, we didn't make a whole lot of money then, and I'm not even ashamed to tell you, my rookie year, I made seventeen thousand five hundred dollars. So it wasn't the type of thing that you know you could uh, like you could today if you play several years and you invest your money properly. You may ne- never have to really take a real job again. But we knew that that was you know part of the the situation and. The grind was really difficult during training camp, Vince. It was 10 to 12 weeks long. When I was down with the Dolphins, we actually played seven exhibition games. They called them exhibition games rather than preseason because that's really what they were. And there were six games scheduled, but because the Dolphins had won the, the Super Bowl the year before, they had to play the college All-Stars. But that game never uh, hasn't uh, been held in, in years now. But that was a tradition. So... Here's a guy, I'm, I played 10 games at Villanova, and I'm pretty exhausted at the end of the season. And we're through seven games in the preseason, and we haven't even started the 14-game regular season. The, the, um, the double sessions then were two and a half hours in the morning, two and a half hours in the afternoon. In 1973, I, I, I hesitate to say, but it was true, we had no water on the field. You know, and guys were in jeopardy of, of really of being dehydrated, passing out. And they didn't care. They didn't know what caused that. You know, it was dehydration. And today they have 90-minute workouts. They're more instructional. There's very little hitting because of the guys. They don't want to – they've invested money in the teams. They don't want them to get hurt. So that was really the more difficult part of it was getting through training camp. Once we got to the season, it wasn't bad at all. But, you know, living the dream was something – and the reason I tell you the story about my great experience on Monday Night Football. It was five years to the month that I woke up in Sloan Kettering Hospital, minus my left arm, my left shoulder, and four ribs, as a result of a desmoid tumor that I developed from playing football. And uh, that was a big fall. I didn't fall from average Joe, you know, with a nine-to-five job. I had once been tackling guys like O.J. Simpson, John Riggins. I had my only sack against Joe Namath. And now I'm laying in the hospital bed in New York City, just a nobody, uh, waiting, hoping that I'll survive the event. So how does that feel, going from being a professional athlete and becoming an amputee, you know, going through that process? What's that like? Well, you know, it probably could have been a lot worse if I hadn't, if I had been taken right off the field. But I did have about a year and a half in between that. Uh, to, you know, get a real job. And I was working for the Xerox Corporation at the time, who really took care of me during this period of time. But the real, um, I guess, it really didn't hit me the way you would think because there was about a third, a 30% chance going into the final operation that I would not make it through the operation itself. I was on the table for 11 and a half hours. And, uh, you know, there was always a possibility they could lose you. 
And so knowing that, I was really glad to be alive. I had three children at the time, two, one, and an infant that I knew that I had to stage some kind of comeback, you know, in order to be a father and a, a breadwinner for the family. So um, I really did not suffer a deep depression about the whole thing uh, because I just had to get back on the horse and get running. I didn't have much, I didn't have any other options. And that really helped me. And that's part of what the, uh, you know, the, the theme of the book is faith, family, friends, and fortitude. With the first three, when you have your faith, and I, and I didn't blame anybody, but this is God's will that this happened to me. And then family and friends supported me like you can't even believe. And then it was like up to me to say, hey, uh, things could be worse. You still have these three beautiful children, and you got a great family, and you got great friends. Let's show the world that uh, you know it doesn't. You you can get up after you get knocked down, especially after an injury such as this. And I just started to put one foot forward in front of the other, and things started to work out incredibly good in my direction. So where did they work out towards? What'd you end up doing? Well, I ended up coming back, and, and like I said, Xerox is a great company. I was afraid Vince they were going to say, "Hey, why don't you go out on permanent disability?" And, you know, hey, uh, we're going to put you in the back room just to do a building because I was a marketing manager and had a team full of people and executive, and I was making sales calls with these people. And I didn't know if they'd want me to be, you know, seen as an amputee out there. I had all these negative thoughts about it. And a guy came into my life that really helped me get a positive attitude. His name was Rocky Blyer. And if you know anything about Rocky's story, he was wounded in Vietnam before he became a Pittsburgh Steeler, and they told him, that he would have to have his leg fused. He refused to have that done. And they again told him, if you don't have it done, you'll never play football again. For Just forget about that. And you'll be lucky if you can ever walk again without a limp. And he happened to have two of the best orthopedic surgeons in the world because of a great owner by the name of Art Rooney who had to examine him, and they made a project out of him. And in 20 months, he was back on the football field, and now he has four Super Bowl rings. And he called me. We had a kind of a Catholic college alignment or friendship. He went to Notre Dame. I went to Villanova. We knew each other, but not that well. But in my darkest hour, he appeared and told me that I would come out of this thing if I had the right attitude. And he sent me a little poem along with it to, uh, to you know, get, get a little courage every time I failed at something because he knew I was going to have trouble adjusting with just one arm into the real world. And surely enough, I did. But without his pep talk and knowing what he had overcome, I'm not so sure I'd be talking to you today. Now, out of curiosity, what was the poem? Well, it goes like this. It goes like this. It's called A Winner's Creed. And it's a little-known poem, but any time that I tried something that I failed at, instead of stepping back and counting to ten, I would recite this little three-stanza poem. It says, if you think you're beaten, you are. If you think you dare not, you don't. If you like to win, but you think you can't, it's almost a sense that you won't. If you think you'll lose, you're lost, for in this world we find success begins with a fellow's will. It's all in the state of mind. Remember, life's battles don't always go to the biggest, fastest, or smartest man, but sooner or later the man who wins is the man who thinks he can. And, you know, I found that I have been doing some counseling since this happened with amputees, mostly from cancer, but I also got involved with Walter Reed Hospital and went down and started to counsel some of the amputees down there. And I learned something from this. You know, when you're isolated, I'll go to see a, an amputee that's lost a leg or an arm to cancer, and they've already been schooled by friends and family 
to lower the bar of expectations, to lower their goals. And these people that are around them, they do that out of love for them. They know that they're hurting, that's very empathetic. But Rocky told me not to change any of my goals until I found out that I couldn't reach them. And when I get down to Walter Reed, I find there's an attitude down there just from the military experience they all wanted to say, what can I do? How will I move forward? How will I get this done? Whole different attitude. So that's the type of thing that, you know, this poem uh, really, you know, directs your, your mind to is that the human spirit is stronger than anything that can happen to it. And I can tell you, I'm, I've experienced that, and that is true. Sometimes we wait until we're forced in a great crisis to find out just how strong internally we want, really are. But, you know, there you can achieve almost any goal you want. If you know you have that spirit, you make your plan and you go after it. And that's what the uh, poem kind of signifies. So after you go through the surgery and you do have to pick yourself back up, what was one of the hardest goals that you had to accomplish? I'll tell you what it is. Today, when I get down to Walter Reed, they have a program called DLAs, Daily Living Activities. They will not release the soldiers, men or women, and there are women that I have counseled because the IEDs are very indiscriminate. But they will not let you leave that hospital or release you until you can complete the DLAs. That's daily living activities. you got to be able to cook five meals. you got to be able to do your laundry. All the things that they know you're going to face because they don't know what you're going to face. So, you know, you're going to face things they don't anticipate. So at least they can cover and get you um, uh schooled and, and trained in the things they know you will face. Well, when I left Sloan Kettering, uh, I was home for about six weeks, and I went back to work in January with no rehab. And I had no idea what that world was going to be like now that I faced things one-handed. But it was a school of hard knocks. And, you know, I learned individually here, and I learned individually there. And when I got down or a little depressed, I had friends and family to pick me back up and remind me that, you know, things Rome wasn't built in a day. And Sooner or later, I became very proficient at doing things one-handed. In the speeches that I give, I was told by a very well-meaning volunteer at Sloan Kettering who came in, who was a World War II veteran that had lost his arm, and he assured me I would never be able to tie my shoes again and would have to get these Velcro uh, pre-tied shoes and I would get clip-on ties because I would never be able to tie my tie again. And I found out that I could tie my tie again, and I do that to the audience as a, um, you know, as proof that there are things you can overcome, even when people tell you, even people with experience will tell you cannot be done. And so I was buoyed by some of those small successes, as they say. And one of them was, well, what sport can I go back and play? Because I was an avid athlete. Well, you know what? You can play one-handed and really doesn't make a difference is racquetball. And if you'll remember in the late 70s and early 80s, racquetball was a sport that was really in and so I could compete with anybody uh, two-handed and two-legged in racquetball, and that gave me some confidence to try other things like golfing one-handed, and then I got back into jogging and stuff. So, you know, it's one of those things where you try stuff and you don't count it out until you figure out that I can't do this well or I can't do it at all. So former Eagles linebacker Kevin Riley is with me on the line, and as you're doing all these other sports, do you still have any relationship with football? Yes, I spent 16 years. I just gave it up. I did 16 years of radio broadcasting for the Philadelphia Eagles, the pregame and the postgame. One was called the uh, Countdown to Kickoff, and the other was the fifth quarter. Really enjoyed that time. 
really enjoyed being able to inter, inter, interview the guys on the teams. We had a special bond because I was a former player and not just, you know, an announcer or a media person. And now I'm doing um, analytic, analyst work for Villanova football and radio. And I really love being um, back doing things with my alma mater, and I really love the kids there. All of the kids in the athletic program uh, I've had an opportunity to – to meet or see because I, I emcee their senior sports banquet. And I know I'm biased, Vince, but that's a very special school, and the kids are really special kids. You can see it in this Villanova basketball team that everybody sees on TV, but that really washes down across all of the sports. A lot of the kids are like that team. It's all about teamwork and unselfishness, and I just love being around them. They, they make me feel positive. Well, let me ask you about something else that makes people feel really positive because you are a local homegrown guy. You do get to play for the Eagles yourself in the 70s, and then to see them actually win a Super Bowl, what was that feeling like? Well, you know, uh, I had a lot of opportunities to go out and host an event at at some sports bars and stuff, but uh, I've got 10 grandkids and, and three children, and my dad is 92. He's still alive, and my mom's 87, and we started a family affair on the first play a playoff game, and uh, we went from one house to the next. To experience that win, which has been so long in coming, because I used to go to the Eagles game in 1961 at Franklin Field with my dad and uncles. You know, to see that and be with them as a fan and then to be a player with them and an alumni with them, and to have them win the Super Bowl in the fashion they won it, uh, and against the team that I used to play for that, uh, I tell people that I played with them before they started cheating the, the Patriots, <laughs> but <laughs> I uh, it was it was really really uh, a moment I'll never forget. You know, being there with the family and and uh, grandkids and and just really whooping it up and having a ball. It was very very special, and it's something like you know when you have a bucket list and you really check off something that you really wanted to do and you weren't sure you were going to get it done in your lifetime. And then it happens. That's what it felt like. It felt like a major relief of uh, uh, finally winning a championship and being able to say to Dallas Cowboy fans, hey, we do have one. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but Jerry Jones announced today on TNT that the 2019 games at home for the Dallas Cowboys are going to be on the History Channel because his fans are living in the past. <laughs> 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 That's awesome. Oh, man. So we're speaking with Kevin Riley, who has a book out called Tackling Life. And, uh, Kevin, it's, it's not just that you're doing the, the book here, which people can go out and buy, but you're doing some public speaking as well? Well, I've been doing that for about 20 years, and now it's really picked up because of the book being out there and people wanting to hear me speak and vice versa. I'll speak and they want to read the rest of the book. So it's really worked out really well. But, you know, I wanted to write the book to help people out there who sometimes uh, really believe that they're not going to recover or ever be happy again because of the obstacles they faced in their life. And in the book, you'll see that losing my arm was just one of a couple major obstacles that I faced and got over. And, you know, the book is about resilience. And, you know, you have to develop resilience. It's not a God-given talent. And the only way that you can really become a resilient person is to pick yourself up after these obstacles, these challenges that we get in life, and learn something from them and put them to play going forward. And uh, I think that's the challenge of life. And as I look back over some of those major challenges, I I think, I I, I 
put myself and go like in that stage and go, wow, what was I thinking then? And how did I get out of that? And then writing the book made me really open up to a lot of things that I learned that I hoped I could share with other people. And I've gotten a lot of really positive things, responses back from people who are going through tough times right now who read the book and had to email me or text me and just say, boy, did I need this right now? And that's the really goal of my, my book. I wanted to pay it forward. Uh, when I went into that operating room knowing there was a 30% chance I wouldn't survive, you make a lot of promises to God. And I said, if you ever pull me out of this thing, I will pay it forward. And you know what? It's been one of the most fulfilling things I've ever done. This isn't work to me. This is a passion that I have and the people that I meet. And if I'm helping one person out of 400 that I speak to, well, that was a successful day. So where can we go and pick up the book, Kevin? It's on Amazon.com. It's called Tackling Life. And uh, if you go on there, it's $20, and they'll ship it to you, and you'll get it in about three days. And if you keep your eyes and ears open, I'll be speaking in the next couple months here, there, and everywhere. And you can come and, and visit me, and I'll personalize either the book you bought from Amazon or the one you want to buy wherever I'm doing the signings. All right. Well, that is Kevin Riley. The book is called Tackling Life, How Faith, Family, Friends, and Fortitude Kept an NFL Linebacker in the Game. And, and Kevin, it's been great talking with you. I really appreciate you taking the time. Hey, Vince, let's do it again. It's been a great time. Absolutely. And, and Kevin, thanks again. So for you, if you've enjoyed this episode, this interview with Kevin Riley, well, again, we have so many things that we do like this on Patreon. So if you go to patreon.com, and you look for BGN Radio. We have all sorts of premium things that we do, and that includes an NFCE show every single week, an NFL show, bonus Eagles coverage, goofy shows like Eagle After Dark. You're going to get advanced access to a pond for the review, which is a very in-depth football history show that we do. And we have all sorts of tiers for it, $5, $10, $25, or even as low as a dollar. So there's many different ways to help support us to create all of these different shows that we're doing for you, and we hope you enjoy them. So, again, you can go to patreon.com for all of that. If you want to follow me, you can do that at It's Vince Quinn on Twitter, all one word, It's Vince Quinn. I'll talk to you soon.